The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Exodus in chapter number 37. We want to talk to you tonight about the presence of God. The presence of God and God's presence with us. Uh, Think about this tonight. God is present here. He's present here. Uh, even though sometimes, everybody here, if you're here, raise your hand. All right, good. If you're not sure, all right, if someone didn't raise their hand next to you, just, you know, it's okay, all right? So we're all here, and sometimes mentally we can check out, uh, but aren't you glad that God's here? God's here. And the reason why God's here tonight, and I'm not saying that kind of like, well, I hope He is. I know He is because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And whether or not you're filled with the Spirit of God tonight, He is present within you. You know what? Often when we talk about the presence of God, really what we're talking about more often than not, our desire is for the filling of the presence of God. Are you with me? The filling of the presence of God. You ever spend time with somebody, but you didn't really, you kind of took it for granted, you didn't really spend that quality time that you should have, maybe husbands or wives, you went out and you did something together, but it wasn't quality time. You ever spend time with somebody and really feel like it? Boy, that really brought us closer together. That really did something. You know, there's a difference between the kind of time that we spend with God sometimes. And uh, whether or not we have that quality of time doesn't ever depend on God. It always depends on us. Because God is always willing to give us 100% of himself. Think about that tonight. God is always willing to give you 100% of his presence. But whether or not you have his filling tonight has to do with how much you're willing to give to God. How much you're willing to give to God. Are you willing to give to God all of that space inside of your head, in your heart, you know, that you often clog with worry and doubt and fear and anxiety and, and all this other stuff, bad news, and what the things that are distracting you tonight, keeping you from focusing on God, his word, his, his people. Uh, this will just become ritualistic for us coming together as a church if we don't think about that. Because we want to have quality time with God tonight, don't we? Yes, quality time with God's church, but quality time with God. And that we can do that together and God is present with us. As we walk through the tabernacle, and I asked Pastor Andy, if you just kind of follow me with some of these slides, can you put up a a picture of the tabernacle for me? And uh, just uh, kind of the outer, uh, uh, outer parts of... Uh, of the, uh, the, the tabernacle there, and we can see uh, the, the gate into the court, and we can see the outer court there, and when you come uh, into the outer court, there was that brazen altar, and on that brazen altar was always fire. That uh, brazen altar was made of uh, copper, and it was uh, in, uh, in, in the sense of it was interesting because if there was any kind of zinc or any kind of those oxides that sometimes get mixed in, uh, if the heat of that altar, it would have cracked But the way God told them to make it, that it would never crack no matter how much heat they were putting on that altar as that altar was constantly having uh, sacrifices offered on there for the sins of the people. And I want you to think about that as you enter into the outer court. uh, The first thing God deals with is the sinfulness of of God's people. It's dealt with there. And so you can see that, the the, the brazen altar in the outer court. And and again, I'm uh, I'm not uh, some kind of... Uh, expert on all these things, but I want us to look at it tonight as we look at the Word of God. And then you can see the laver. And the laver was, uh, there's dimensions that weren't given for that in a sense that we don't really know 
the dimensions of the laver. And it's interesting to think about because the laver was supposed to have living water in it. That's what he told them, living water. Think about that. Uh, Jesus spoke to that woman of the well, the living water that he was going to give. And that, that water was for washing. It was for cleansing. And think about the sin uh, offering uh, that was being sacrificed continually, the, uh, the, the labor, that living water. Uh, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice offered for our sins. And, and then the eternal life that he's given us, that living water, uh, the washing, the cleansing. And even the picture of uh, Jesus tells us in the, in the word of God that the word cleanses us, doesn't it? The washing of the water of the Word and how uh, there's no dimension to the Word of God. You think about the Word of God and how it's inexhaustible and there's no dimension to it. And we're not going to focus on those uh, things tonight, but uh, kind of going into the holy place, we're going to look at that first kind of inner court uh, inside the holy place, the, the table of shoe bread, uh, the candlestick, and the golden altar. And I want to look at that tonight in God's Word because we're going to kind of deal with Uh, these representations in God's word of the presence of God uh, to us. Exodus chapter number 37, you there? Look at verse number 10, verse number 10. Exodus 37 and verse number 10. The Bible says that he made uh, the table of shittim wood. This is talking about the table of showbread. Two cubits was the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. I love when I read these dimensions because this, this kind of shows me how we're not dealing with fantasy here, folks. We're dealing with facts. We're not dealing with something that just may have existed. We're dealing with something that did exist. And he gives the dimensions of these things. He tells us how they were built, what they were made of. God is trying to give us a picture in our minds because he wants us to see it as we live through the scriptures and, and, and uh, look at the scriptures. Look at it with me, verse 11. He overlaid it with pure gold. He made thereunto a, a crown of gold round about. And also he made thereunto a border of a hand, uh, hand breadth round about and made a crown of gold for the border thereof uh, round about. And he cast uh, for it four rings of gold and put the rings upon the four corners uh, that were in the four feet thereof. And it's interesting how all of these holy items that were there inside these furniture, they were to be hand-carried by the people. Hand-carried by the people. God wanted them to touch it. God wanted them to bear it. God wanted them to, to carry it. As they went through the wilderness, they would be carrying these items. They'd be carrying them. You remember the uh, Ark of the Covenant had the same thing, had the rings and the, and the staves that would go through it and that, that uh, table of shoe bread there. And uh, verse number 14, it was over against the border with the rings and, and the places for the staves to bear the table. And he made the staves of Shittimun and overlaid them with gold to bear the table. And he made the vessels which were upon the table, his dishes and his spoons and his, his bowls and his covers to cover with all of pure gold. Now, I want you to think about this with me tonight as we think about the presence of God. The presence of God. Um, these items were not made in the tabernacle so that we could just have pretty furniture in the tabernacle. The items that were made were made specifically for a purpose to teach us something. These were a foreshadowing, the Bible tells us, of things to come. They understood just these physical items that God was giving them, but God was teaching us something that was deeper. Something that was a mystery to them has now been revealed to us. Isn't that awesome? We now have the key the understanding, because what's the key to the understanding? Jesus is. Jesus is the key. He's unlocked the understanding of what these things are. Hey, the presence of God. How do we have God's presence tonight? Because of Jesus Christ. 
We have God's presence tonight because of the cross. And as, as we think about these, these things, I, I want you to think about the presence, uh, that table of showbread that he's talking about. God is present. I want you to think about this. Number one, he's present to nourish us. He's present to nourish us, to nourish his people. You know what God wants to do for you and me tonight? He wants to feed us. He wants to feed us. You know, sometimes we don't want to be fed, though. Sometimes, uh, uh, anybody have those, those, those kids that were hard to feed when they were little? And you kind of had to do the little, the airplane and the hangar, you know. Sometimes as a pastor, I feel like illustratively, sometimes as a pastor, I feel like a little bit with uh, some, some humor, uh, a little bit with uh, a little bit of uh, emphasis or access on some words or maybe some movement on the platform or maybe a raising of voice. I'm kind of just going like this. Open the hangar. Here it comes. The truth is here. Hey, nothing wrong with that. God uh, tells the pastor, feed the flock. Isn't that what he's telling us? Feed the flock. And so, you know, sometimes some of these illustrations and and some of this movement and some of this, are you awake? Are you here? Are you with me? And uh, some of these, it's just me going, you know, kind of open the hangar. Here comes the food. Really, the important thing is not how much of this kind of stuff I'm doing. The important thing is what's on the spoon. The important thing is what is being fed to you. That's why the emphasis is always, and I hope it always will be, is on the Word. The Word of God, because this is important to us. And this is what God wants to feed us with. And sometimes we can be kind of like that toddler in the high chair with kind of our arms crossed and our mouth closed and saying, I don't really like what you're dishing out. I don't really like what you're, what you're giving. I never understood uh, those kind of those, those mashed up peas, you know, those carry. I mean, come on. Sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes we're uh, in, the, in the Sunday school hour, and I hope this is okay for me to share. Tom, uh, he came up after Sunday school, and he said, I'm glad you're the pastor. And, and what he was saying is they're talking about giving. Sometimes that's a hard thing. It's kind of maybe, maybe the message this morning on giving was like, was like mashed uh, carrots to you or peas or whatever it is that, you know, it's just I don't really care for that so much. But, you know, sometimes uh, we understand it can't all be pears and bananas. Are you with me? It, it, can't be all, it can't always be those things that some of you kids, this is, this is the most you ever got theologically ever. I'm really uh, kind of putting this really down on the, you know, it can't, it can't, it can't, be, it can't be all pears and bananas. It, it's, sometimes it's just uh, I've got to, you know, uh, tell you sometimes we need to have this. Are you with me? Sometimes as a pastor, you know why, uh, uh, why I preach a message? Because God says, hey, your people, they need to have this. My people, they need to have this. And say, God, I'd really rather offer them something different. I'd rather offer, give them, give them a meal that they, that, that they might sign up for, they might order. But, you know, God's saying, no, 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 I ordered this. I ordered this for them. This is what I want. You know what I found? It's, it's no good arguing with God because even when you give a message that you might think is really good, it, it flops when God's not in it. It's no good when God's not in it. It doesn't go anywhere when God's not in it. And even though sometimes it feels like, you know, you're, you're wiping more food off people's mouths than you are that they actually got in them. They kind of made a mess. It was sitting at the, um, the restaurant this afternoon and uh, my wife sat me for whatever strategic reason, next to the toddler, uh, what his, his, his two-year-old son. 
And so we really uh, shared a lot of food this afternoon. You know, he wanted to eat mine, and he wanted me to eat his. And, you know, so we shared a lot of food. And, you know, he's only two years old and just, eh, yeah, eh, you know, he just keeps, you know, and I'm, I'm playing with him and, and messing with him. But, you know, sometimes, you know, that's us. God wants to give us something, and I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that. You know, when God says open the hangar, uh, church, open the hangar, you know why? Because he wants to nourish us. He wants to feed us. That table of showbread that was there that represented the presence of God. It was uh, those 12 loaves of bread to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, the, the table of showbread, the word showbread literally means table of presence. The table of the presence of God. It was God's presence. It was the table of face. It was God's face amongst his people. It was God's presence amongst his people. And you would think about this this week as as we really want to focus on having God's daily presence, not just his Sunday presence. Are you with me? I want God's presence on Sunday, but I want it on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And we need God's presence every day. And how are we going to have that presence? Well, we've got to go to the table and we've got to get the bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread. Uh, You know, he told us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Jesus told those, uh, those uh, Israelites, I am the manna which has come down from heaven. I'm the heavenly bread. I'm the bread that meets your daily needs. The manna, they weren't to collect more than what they needed for one day. It was literally their daily bread. Jesus is saying, I'm your daily bread. And uh, you know, most of us understand how we ingest that through God's word. Through God's word. But they had to go to the table. They had to understand the presence. They had to want the presence. They had to understand that God wants to nourish us. How many understand that you can be spiritually malnourished? You can be spiritually malnourished. You know, one way to surely be spiritually malnourished is to not read your Bible every day. You will most definitely, positively, be spiritually malnourished if you don't read your Bible every day. You say, well, I don't always get something out of it. Oh, maybe it's peas and carrots, but you need it, but you need it. You say, well, I, you know, just not excited about this passage or what the Bible is saying here. You need it. It's a spiritual book. God wants to nourish you with it, and you need that nourishment. You know, a lot of times we may not feel like eating physical food because of the way or sense that we feel, but how many know you, if physical malnourishment, that's not good. You're not going to be able to operate. Spiritually speaking, we cannot operate in this world uh, malnourished. But many Christians are malnourished. You understand that it is far more enjoyable to eat a meal on time than it is to eat a meal because I'm starving. You with me? It's far more enjoyable to eat a meal on time when it's been scheduled. How many know we have those scheduled meals? Some of you operate, you know, as, as, as Americans, that's really what it is. It's, it's really everything that we do in between when we eat. <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, we, we eat before we come to church, and then we are, well, you know, pastor better hurry up and finish that message because I got lunch to get to, you know. And then tonight, you know, we're going to go eat, or maybe you ate before you came in tonight. But isn't it funny how we have those, those schedules? I got to eat. I got I, I to get something to eat. It was amazing when we were in Africa because uh, some of the men, well, we had the, the meal there, and they had a big meal. They were offering large portions, especially to us, their guests, and we were so embarrassed at that because we wanted them to get some. And we said, we don't need, we don't need very much, just a little bit. Just give us what you eat. 
And the one man at the end of the day, uh, he said, he, uh, somebody said he didn't get any. We wanted to give him ours. And he said, no, no, it's okay. I didn't eat today, but God, God can give me food tomorrow. You know, literally, he was not saying I didn't eat this meal today. He was literally saying he didn't eat anything. He didn't have anything. But he was saying, it's okay. I'll be okay. I won't die. I can eat tomorrow. You know, I'm glad that we don't live that way. How many, how many probably ate more than what you needed to today? You know, we understand, as far as spiritually speaking, we, we don't eat enough. We don't eat enough. And sometimes when you don't eat right, you don't get a taste for what you should have a taste for. Sometimes what happens is, as we're talking about the presence of God, as we're talking about the Word of God, sometimes what happens when people come into church, they're so spiritually malnourished that they can't handle much of the Word. Someone who's starving to death can't go and eat a full meal. It'll make them sick. They have to just kind of, if you've ever fasted, you know that you've got to gradually introduce food back into your system. You can't just... And what happens is, is, sometimes people come in on Sunday, and sometimes people listen. This is why even sometimes they go to a church that doesn't give them very much to eat, if anything. Because they're so spiritually malnourished, they can't handle it. They can't handle it. They can't handle the Word. It's, I'm getting sick. This is too much. And by the way, I don't want to have to preach to a, a congregation like that because we have no excuse why we're malnourished. We have God's Word in our language. We own copies of God's Word. We have them digitally available to us on our devices. There's no reason why we're spiritually malnourished other than making a choice not to eat. There's no excuse for it. Young and old, if you can read, you should be spiritually nourished. By the way, uh, one of the best things to learn to read is God's Word. And we've got to nourish on God's Word. That that table of showbread representative of the the daily bread. If we're going to have daily presence, we need to have a desire to be daily nourished. And we need to understand that daily nourishment comes from the Word of God. And As the priest walked in the holy place from the outer court, on the right he'd see the table of the presence bread. On the left, he would see the golden lampstand. Ahead of him, lampstand. Ahead of him, he would see the, the golden altar of incense. It was standing before the beautiful veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The table was three feet long, a foot and a half wide, 27 inches high. And like the ark, it was made of Achaia wood covered with gold. Another reminder of Savior's humanity and his deity. It was a picture, perfect picture of deity and humanity. It's a picture of Christ. That wood overlaid, covered with gold. Uh, Jesus, the bread of life, he took upon himself a human body that he might come to this earth and die for our sins. The 12 loaves of bread bread were baked each week. God gave him a recipe for the bread. You know, the... uh, Next to the bread, and that bread was uh, placed on the table, it was always accompanied by incense. That's interesting. Always the bread and incense next to the bread. And the old loaves were removed and eaten by the priest. The priest would go, they would take the loaves, and when the new loaves were put, they would take the old loaves, and they would go into the, the holy place, and they would eat that bread. They would consume that bread. And uh, the, the use suggests the bread was actually, it was a meal offering. It was in thanksgiving to God for the daily bread that he provided. And through the loaves, the 12 tribes were represented. God's presence in his people. And I wonder t- tonight as we understand, Paul compared the, the, uh, 
of the church to a loaf of unleavened bread. You know, our task is to preach the word and to tell sinners about Jesus Christ, the bread of life. It's what God's called us to do. We should be well-nourished in the bread of life so that we have bread to offer to others. Do you have bread to offer? Surely we have bread to offer. We've got the bread of life that we can offer to others. And the loaves of bread were special. They were not to be eaten carelessly. Any priest who was, uh, who was defiled and ate the bread, think about that. As I open up God's word, as I, as, I, as I get the daily bread, as I am nourishing myself spiritually, I want to understand that as I'm approaching God's word, uh, how I am in my heart and mind is important. How I'm approaching the meal. How many before you eat your meal, you wash your hands? How many know that even if you don't, you should? Some of you young people, right? You wash your hands. Uh, You understand that as we have human hands and human eyes and human minds, how many know that your mind and the level of understanding has been polluted? It's been polluted. And even as we read the Word of God, we need to ask God to transform us by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The, the problem, can I, can I present this tonight? The problem is not with the food. The problem is not with the meal. The, the problem is with us and our impurities. We need to ask God to cleanse us as we come. And let me give you number two, and there's only three tonight, and I'm going to try to move. Uh, God, God's, presence, uh, God's uh, presence to nourish us. And then number two tonight. As we look at it, go ahead and put, it, put, put up number two for me. God enlightens our worship and our service, and he uses that candlestick and his presence to teach us. God's presence to teach us. What's he, uh, what's he want to teach us? You know God wants to nourish you, and God wants to teach you. How many need to learn something from God? You want to learn something from God? I do. You know, the Holy Spirit says he's able to teach us all things. The greatest teacher that all of us have is the Holy Spirit of God. I am not the greatest teacher that you should hear every week. The greatest teacher you hear should not be on the radio, should not be on the television. The greatest teacher you hear should be the Holy Spirit of God as he illumines the word of God to you. You think about as across from the table of showbread, the only light in the room was the candlestick. It showed the light down on the table of showbread. It illumined the bread for the priest as he would go and he would eat it. There was no other light in the room but the light that came from that candlestick. You know what? God wants to use His Spirit to enlighten His Word to you. He wants to illumine the reason why you worship, the reason why you serve. He wants to enlighten that for you and the candlestick, uh, look at, um, uh, we'll stay in chapter 37. We could go to Leviticus in chapter 25, chapter 27. You're in 37, so let's look at it there. Uh, chapter 37, Exodus chapter 37, verse number 17. And he made the candlestick of pure gold. You were there? Everybody there in the Bible? Look at it. Uh, uh, he made the candlestick of pure gold of beaten work, made he the candlestick his shaft and his branch, his bowls, his knops, his flowers were of the same, and, and six branches going out of the sides thereof, three branches of the candlestick, out of the one side thereof, three branches of the candlestick, out of the other side uh, thereof. Three bowls made after the fashion of almonds in one branch, and a knop and a flower, and three bowls made like almonds in another branch, 
and an up and a flower. So throughout the six branches going out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick were four bowls made like almonds, as knops and as flowers, and an up under two branches of the same, and an up under two branches of the same, and an up under two branches of the same, according to the six branches going out of it. Again, notice the specific terminology here. We're talking about something that's real. Their knops and their branches were the same. All of it was one beaten work of pure gold. And he made his seven lamps and his snuffers and his snuff dishes of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold made he it and all the vessels thereof. The, the candlestick was hammered out of 20, uh, uh, I'm sorry, was hammered out of 75 pounds of gold. Think about that. 75 pounds of gold. Uh, it was hammered out of one sheet of gold. It was a beautiful work of art. Six branches decorated with almond flowers and buds and blossoms. The, uh, the central shaft provided the seventh lamp. They were fed by oil. They were kept burning constantly. There was no way to let natural light in from the outside. The golden lampstand was the only source of light available in the holy place. Without it, the priests couldn't have carried out their ministry. Think about that. Without it, they couldn't have done their ministry. I wonder how much ministry we think we're doing when we're walking in our own light. When we're leaning on our own understanding. You know what God's telling us? You can't do ministry without me, without my light. You know what we were? In darkness. But he's the light of the world. And then he's put light in us, hasn't he? As he's given us his spirit. And then he says, the light that comes from within you is the light of the Holy Spirit. And he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He tells the church to be salt and to be light. To be a preserving factor, a purifying factor, and a, a lightning factor in this world. That people can, be, uh, people can see God in us. I wonder how much of what we do is us and how much of what we do is God. The priest needed the light. The light showed over on the bread. You know, you'd get more out of God's word if you were looking to God's spirit to illuminate it to you. I, I love, and I, I sat this afternoon and was studying for some other messages and reviewing notes for tonight, and I love all the helps that are available to us and the books and the commentaries and all these things. And I glean things from them. But you know what? I always... Ask the Lord to forgive me when I feel like I'm leaning too much on that and not on Him. Because it's far better for me to go to the Word of God, and this is usually what I do before I look at another, read, read another source or commentary or book or anything, is I say, God, I just want to read your Word. And so I'll read a text over and over and over and over, and I want to, God, just show me. Show me, reveal to me. I want you to teach me from this text. Read it in context. I'm not allowing somebody else's view to skew my view. I want God to teach me. You know, there's things I've learned doing that that I could have never learned learning what somebody else got from God. I believe some of those commentaries are just 
light that God gave some of those men. They're good. God gave us some light. And here's the thing. Tonight as I'm teaching and preaching God's word, I don't want to be your commentary only to God's word. Some people, they only get the commentary of a message and they never have the privilege of just asking the Holy Spirit, God, illumine your word to me. God, teach me your word. God, when I come, I know that the only light I have is through your spirit. And I want you to teach me what the word says. And I want you, I want you to be my teacher. You're able to teach me God's word. And yeah, God's given us pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry. And thank God. But here's the greatest thing about it. God has given you the greatest teacher himself in you. And there's no excuse why we don't open God's word and say, God, shine your light on the word of God for me. The candlestick reminds us of the people of Israel chosen to be a light to the Gentiles. Jesus Christ also came to be a light to the Gentiles. The light is spread through the witness of the church. In Revelation uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, our Lord uh, is offer, uh, offers, tells us to offer him intelligent worship, not ignorant worship. And to do that, we need the light of the word of God to guide us. A lot of what people call worship today is ignorant worship. It's not intelligent worship. In other words, I worship God the way I feel God, the way I want to worship God. What makes me feel good is what makes me want to worship God. How many know that that worshiping God is not about you? It isn't about you. It isn't about experience and emotion and all these things. Now, I believe when we worship God, our emotions are involved. I believe that when we worship God, we have an experience. But I, I, I tell you that most of the worship that we see today, what people call worship, is uninformed and ignorant worship because they literally are doing things adapted from the world that they see in the world's entertainment practices, which is just what the devil's taught people how to do worship. How many know that we don't need to learn worship from the devil? How many know that we don't need to adapt the pagan principles that we see in the world of worship, bring them into the church, put God's name on it, and then say that it's worship because we put good words to it? You with me? That's why you need to be careful what you call worship music. Just because you put God's name on it doesn't mean that God's in it. And we don't need to adapt And I'm not going to get the message not about music tonight. But what I'm saying is, a lot of what we call worship today is unintelligent, uninformed worship. And what God calls us to worship as as believers is intelligently. How we know, what do we sing tonight? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You believe God's holy? God's holy. There's nothing worldly or carnal about Him. He's holy. You know what kind of worship he wants? Holy worship. And by the way, let me just say this on the other side. Just because it's dry and dead and dusty doesn't mean that it's worship either. Just because you sang it from a hymn book doesn't mean it's worship either. So we have to be careful because there's a balance there. And sometimes we look at methodology and we, we wonder if that's worship. But worship is what the Lord leads us to do. Worship is what comes from our heart. Worship is what God does in our hearts. You know, I ha- you know what I have a hard time with in most of what the world calls worship? Is when you look at the lifestyle of a lot of the people that are doing worship, it's pretty carnal. And I don't want that person leading me in worship. Because they're not serious about their purity of their heart to the Lord. You say, well, you can't judge their motives. 
I'm not judging their motives. I'm just looking at their life. If, if you can transition from leading thousands of people in what you're calling worship to the Lord to doing some terrible, sinful thing in practice, you can just easily just switch and transition into that. There's something wrong. There's something not right about that. It'd be, it'd be equally as wrong for us. Listen, we come in, we hear the word, and we, we're, we're saying we're worshiping God. Then we go out, and by the way, as soon as you walk out in the hallway, if you start your gossip up, you with me? You start your gossip up, you start your whining, you're complaining up, and you start, you start, you start your uh, whatever uh, terminology. And, and some of you young people, listen, you go home and you start talking, saying things you shouldn't be saying. Hey, listen, then worship's not really doing anything for you. Because worship, a real true experience with God, changes us. When I have an experience with God, when I have a meeting with God, it changes me. Look at what Isaiah said when he saw God high and lifted up. He said, holy is God, but how terrible I am. I'm a man of unclean lips. It humbled him. It didn't make him haughty. It didn't fill him with pride. This worship, this light, we don't have time to get into all of it tonight, but then the last thing I want to notice is presence to hear us quickly. His presence to hear us. God hears the prayers of his people. The last... uh, piece of furniture tonight I want to look at. And by the way, all of these pieces we could really just dedicate a whole message to. And we're just giving an overview tonight. But stay in chapter 37. Look at verse 25. Stay in chapter uh, 37. Verse 25. And he made the incense altar of shittim wood. The length of it was a cubit and the breadth of it a cubit. It was four square and two cubits was the height of it. The horns thereof were of the same. And he overlaid it with pure gold, both the top of it and the sides thereof round about it, the horns of it. Also he made unto it a crown of gold round about. And he made two rings of gold for under the crown thereof by the two corners of, upon the two sides thereof to be places for the staves to bear it withal. It's interesting that in this furniture we see the Word of God, we see the Holy Spirit of God illuminating the Word of God, but then we see the incense going up at that altar. Aren't you glad that God hears us? That God has a presence to hear us. When we pray, God hears our prayers. We're not praying some kind of vain repetition. We're not praying, uh, you know, in, in some kind of terminology or language, looking for some kind of language that God can understand and hear us. How am I glad that you don't even need to open your mouth to pray? That God can hear you from your heart. He can hear you. Because he has a presence in your life to hear you. That altar of incense, it was the prayers of the people going up. It was representation of the prayers of the people going up to God. Because how God nourishes us in his word and enlightens us by his spirit will change the way we offer up prayers to God. It's going to change our prayer life, our communication with God. How many, how many know this, that your prayer life could be better than what it is? Your prayer life could be better than what it is. Men are always to pray and not to faint. Sometimes what is missing and foreign in the church is prayer. Because when we pray, we feel awkward. Because we're not supposed to be talking about us and what we want. We're supposed to be talking to God and asking Him what He wants. When we offer up prayer to God, we're saying, God, Your will be done. 
God, what you want to be done. God, I want your will to be done in me. And when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to illumine the Word of God and we begin to pray and talk to God, we we begin to understand that the presence of God is about having a conversation with God. That God talks to us through His Word, teaches us by His Spirit, and then He wants us to talk back to Him. You know why we give an invitation to service? Because you should talk back to God after God's talked to you. That's it. The invitation is your opportunity to respond to what you heard. If not, it's just a one-way conversation. Anybody ever get frustrated like me when you send a text and, and they don't answer? It's frustrating. I say this often to people. It's the equivalent of me walking up to you saying something to you and you just look at me. You don't answer. You say, well, I don't, you, know, I, you know, whatever. I understand that maybe you don't text. It's okay if you don't. I'm not trying to get on you. But what I'm saying to you tonight is when God talks to you, why do you think he's talking to you? Some of you young people tonight, you need to listen. Why do you think I'm talking to you? I'm talking to you because I want you to get something because you need to respond to it. There should be a response, right? Other than the the normal glazed over half asleep response. Because what we're talking about is the word of God. And God's speaking to us, and he wants to nourish us, but he wants us to respond to it. He's talking to you so that you talk back to him. But when you hear from God, it changes what maybe you would have said before you heard from him. How many know that it's always good to start with the word and then pray? Because it's good to let God talk first. Sometimes the best praying you can do is just praying his word Open up a psalm and pray the psalms. Just pray what his word says. Because if you start with you, how many have ever done this, where you started talking first and you didn't give God a chance to talk? Sometimes we pray and we don't read our Bibles. We tell God what we want, and then we say, God, I got no time to listen to you. How many know that's problematic? It's always good to eat the bread before you burn the incense. It's always good to eat the bread before you burn the incense. It's always good to listen to God talk before you talk. Open up the Bible and say, God, I'm just here to listen to you. I just want to hear from you. I'm going to listen to your spirit, that still small voice. I want to hear what you have to say. Can I help you somewhat in your Bible reading? Maybe it's getting stale. If you're in a place and God's talking to you, stay there. How many know it's kind of that point in the message where the pastor's preaching, you're like, please go to the next point, please go to the next point, please go to the next point. Not just because you want the sermon to be over, but because something's happening. God's dealing with you, and you'd rather that pressure be alleviated by moving on. Sometimes preaching, I don't plan how long I stay on a point. You say, pastor, I really wish you would. I don't plan how long it's staying a point. Sometimes it's just kind of following the Holy Spirit of God. God, how long do you want me to be here? How long do you... And those times you just delete the back half of the message or the beginning because it's just God just wants this. God just wants this. You know, you may have a Bible reading plan, but that's not very devotional. Sometimes it's good to systematically, chronologically read the Bible, but let me share something with you. Devotionally, there should be a time we just read God's Word and say, God, wherever you start speaking to me, I'm just going to meditate on that. I mean, that's a good way to start your morning. You just get in the Bible, 
and you just open it up, and you just start reading it, and where God starts to talk to you, you just, okay, that's it, that's it. And I'm going to meditate on that. And you go through your day and just meditate on that. And you just meditate on that. And just meditate. You let God talk to you. And then you respond to him. God, I'm going to do that. God, I'm going to follow that. God, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in that area of my life. God has a way of nourishing us. And then teaching us. And then hearing us. But sometimes we want to talk and not listen. Sometimes we get weary of listening. Don't ever get weary of listening to God. If you get weary of listening to me, that's okay. Just don't get weary of listening to God. Weary of listening to God. God wants to speak to us. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.